Revelation 14, chapter, uh, chapter 14, verse 8. We're going to pick up right there. And the heading on this, as we get to it, last week we looked at the proclamation of the everlasting gospel, verses 6 and 7. And, and that everlasting gospel is the same gospel we have. It's the gospel that those in that day, when that angel is proclaiming that everlasting gospel, folks are going to have to come to faith the same way that we've come to faith. It, 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 it'll come to Christ, come to God in the same way, and that is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we get here to be the pronouncement of judgment upon Babylon, verse 8. Now remember this book, verse, uh, book, book chapter 14, is kind of a, it's another parenthetical chapter. And it's a chapter where we're looking at a lot of events and we're getting a view from this standpoint, this is kind of a timeout. Timeout, it's almost like the Holy Spirit said, all right, timeout. I want to give you a forward look into what's coming, what we're about to see coming in this timeline of the tribulation. But I want to give you some pictures. And I think there are like six scenes that we look at in here. And verse 8 is another one of those. And it's the pronouncement of judgment upon Babylon. And, and so verse 8, and another angel, we, we talked about, I think we looked at this last week, how there are six another angels in, in this in this in this passage, as we read through this, we see six more of these another angel and then another angel and another angel. So you try to keep up with those. But here in verse eight, and another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Babylon here uh, refers to the apostate religious political system headed up by the beast in conjunction with the apostate world church. And we, we've, we've talked about that, but there's this apostate political system that has risen up that the beast is in charge of, and there's this apostate world church, and they're working together. There's all of this that is going on. All, uh, they're ruling the world, and Babylon will be the, the focal point of that. Babylon has been Satan's headquarters from the very beginning. We go back and we look at this. Uh, Babylon is the place where idolatry began. Some historical information. Now, I'm going to tell you, I, I, th- this is some things I studied and, and, and a little bit. I came across, I want to share with you. Um, th- this part, what I'm fixing to share with you, you can't go into Scripture and find it. There's some historical truths to it. But as I began to, to dig into this, and I, I, if you want to find something interesting, go search this name, Semiramis. Uh, Anybody ever heard that name, Semiramis? Okay, S-E-M-I-R-A-M-I-S. That was the wife of Nimrod. Okay, so you go all the way back to, 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 to those early days at Babel, and she was the wife of Nimrod, and some scholars believe that she married her own son. She was queen of Babel, which later became Babylon, and she dis, uh, devised a nice little story uh, beginning a, a whole system of idolatry. I mean, she came up with this thing. And there's a couple of different stories. The one that I studied out and followed out was it, it, the story was that um, she, she came out of an egg in the Euphrates River and she cracked it from the inside and she stepped out fully grown. And so with that, it became the worship of Semiramis and it was introduced this, this female principle in the, in the deity, in God, a female God, a female deity. And... and some say what happened was she and she and Nimrod were kind of at odds. She had an affair, an adulterous affair. She became impregnated. And then Nimrod died a violent and untimely death. And so she came up with this story that Nimrod became the sun god. And the rays of the sun from Nimrod shined upon her and impregnated her. 
And then this child that was born, then she claimed was actually Nimrod. And so she was married to her child, and it was some strange things, but she became a deity. Now, I'm going to tell you something else is strange. As I, as I research this, you can go and look with the United States Medals of Honor. You can look at the Medals of Honor for the United States, and the different branches have their medals, and they have different things inside. The, uh, United, uh, the U.S., let's see, the uh, Air Force, the Air Force Medal of Honor. If you look at it, the, the, the picture there looks like the Statue of Liberty, looks like the head of the Statue of Liberty. But if you research on it, they actually say that that is Semiramis, that that was what the model for that was. Kind of interesting, the things that we see even in our own, within our own government and institutions and stuff of the idolatry that, that is, uh, is there. So the worship of Semiramis, again, introduced the female principle in the deity, and she, uh, she, this reveals that Babylon was the fountainhead of false religions. You go way back to right there, and, and, and if, it, that story of Semiramis and the child, you'll see that in cultures all over the world. And this is, of course, after the Tower of Babel, and the language was, was uh, divided, and people scattered all over the earth. And that story went with them. So Babylon is fallen, is fallen. The second another angel runs ahead and announces that which is yet to come as though it had already taken place. I've shared with you this is kind of this prophecy is future history, right? It, it is history. It's just history that hasn't happened yet. But it's as sure. Prophecy is as sure to happen as history that has happened. You understand that? You have to get your mind around that. Scriptural prophecy, if it is in the Word of God, it is going to happen. If God said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And you can, you know, you can hang your hat on that, that, that it, is, it is historical. It's just history that has not yet taken place. I mean, this is when we look at the book of Revelation, we study this out and we try to figure out, well, you know, what are these things that are going on? But folks, this is stuff that is going to happen. And though we may not fully comprehend these things, we may be off base in some areas here or there, but the fact is what God has said in this book, every jot and tittle will take place. So what we're reading is it is prophetic in that it hasn't happened uh, in, from our perspective, but from God's perspective, it has happened. This is historical. It's just future history. So this... Um, this other angel speaks this. And so in the Greek, when, when this angel says fallen or fail, uh, it's, it's, it's in the prophetic aorist tense. So in other words, God's prophetic word is so sure that he speaks as though the event had already taken place. And at that point where John is seeing this, this is speaking again. Even as John is recording this, there's an angel speaking that he sees who's speaking and is speaking of future things, and he's speaking as though it's already happened. Babylon has fallen, has fall, or has fallen, has fallen. Um, Babylon will eventually rebuilt, be rebuilt during the Great Tribulation. The idolatry of Babylon is a divine intoxication which will fascinate the entire world. It will captivate the entire world. And today we are seeing uh, much experimentation with satanic worship, exorcism, and all the cults which are, are definitely satanic. We're seeing an increase of that. And these are the kind of things that are going to be going on in that day. The spiritual uh, vileness, the, the, the satanic worship, all of this stuff. And it's, it, it, it's interesting. Brother John and I were talking. Is John in here? There he is. You moved. You're always there. And y'all mess me up when y'all move. I'll do that on purpose. Um, 
Brother John and I were talking before church and, and, and how, you know, when everything we see in culture, if you, if you look around, everything we see going in our culture today, it's anti-God. It's, it's anti-Christ. And we were talking about this. Verse John speaks of the spirit of antichrist. Well, it's already in the world. It's been in the world. And it is prevalent in our world today because everything we see going on is, it is the spirit of antichrist. Is it everything that is going on is against Christ. It is either trying to usurp his authority, it's trying to appear to be him, or it is trying to just totally disregard him and kick him out of everything. It is, it is this spirit of Antichrist. Um, the Old Testament prophets, look at what they said about this with Babylon. Jeremiah 51, chapter, uh, chapter 51, verse 5. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine. Therefore, the nations are deranged. We, we, are, we, are, we are deranged today. The, the, you know, I can remember years ago saying, Where, where's all the common sense gone? Right? Today, there is nothing common about common sense. And then, but you see the, the political stuff that goes on. You see the, the things in our world around us. It, 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 is, uh, it is deranged. It, it, it's... it's it's so wicked. We think about what it's going to be like then, but you look at where it is today. I, mean, I, I think over the last, just the last couple of years, the, the slide spiritually, just in the last couple of years. Now, now we don't know when the rapture is going to come. We don't know when these things, where the timeline is on these things, um, but but. When these things come to pass, every, it's just all, all restraint will be thrown off. There's a lot of restraint right now. The Holy Spirit is here and working. The, the, the body of Christ is still here and working. There's a restraint that comes by our being here. When we're raptured out and, and that restraint is taken away, uh, this world is going to be a wicked, wicked place. But this whole Babylonian, and we've talked about the, the, even the, this... Uh, Babylon, the spirit of Babylon, the institution of Babylon, it's, it's, it's never really gone away. It's just been diminished, but it's coming back, and it's going to be, it's going to be a prevalent, prevalent thing in this end time. Isaiah 13, 11, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Uh, so this brings down the wrath of God upon the world. This whole thing of, of Babylon, this Babylonian system, this world system, this world of control, this world of wickedness, it's going to bring God's judgment upon it. Isaiah 13 uh, verse 19 says, And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. We have a picture of what's going to happen with Babylon um, this is a judgment on Babylon that we are going to see, and, and it's the judgment upon religious Babylon that we see in chapter 11 of Revelation, and, and it's upon commercial Babylon that we see in chapter 18. So we'll go back to, when we get to 17 and 18, I'm probably going to go back and revisit what we talked earlier, early part of last year, looking at Babylon and bring that back into our teaching so we can revisit that, what, what happens there with Babylon. All right, next thing, C. We're going to look at verses 9 through 12. And this is the pronouncement of judgment on those who receive the mark of the beast. There's pronouncement of judgment. 
You know, and that's why, you know, people, people worry today, and I've heard people ask it, do you think this is the mark of the beast? Well, I don't. I don't think, well, no, we're not going, I'm not going to be here when the mark of the beast, when that's going on. We're not, we're going to be out of here. We're, if you're part of the uh, church, you'll be gone. So uh, this, it's a question that we as believers who understand the scripture shouldn't be really asking. Now, is it, I, I understand the curiosity, but I, I've had people ask me, do you think the vaccine is the mark of the beast? I said, well, I I don't think so. Uh, in fact, I know so because it's not the mark of the beast because the mark of the beast is going to come later. Now, could it be a forerunner? Could the things that are going on now be preparing people for, uh, you know, it's for my safety or it's for my good or it's, for, it's, it's to protect me or whatever. It's the, the, whatever's told to get you to take it. And it's test run to see, you know, how, how much will people do, you know, put a mask on. Wear a mask. Masks are totally ineffective, but it doesn't matter. Put, them, put it on. Put it on. And will you cower to everyone else telling you you should wear this mask or, you know, you, you know the, the whole shaming of someone who didn't want to wear a mask and, and that kind of stuff. These are the kind of things that are, are forerunners to what's going to happen in the future. But it's preparing the masses for these things. I, I believe that. I got my tenfold hat on, y'all see? Verse 9, so pronouncement of judgment on those who receive the mark of the beast. Then the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the, uh, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. There's, uh, there's no middle ground. There's no, uh, what is it, Switzerland? Is, is it Switzerland that was always... In the middle, they, they, we're not on anybody's side. We'll watch your money. We'll do whatever, you know, we're, we're, we're neutral. There ain't no neutral in this day. There is no neutral in this day. You either receive the mark and, and you are on the, 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 the B side or you don't. And, and you've chosen. And I really believe that this is a choice. I, and I, I, I mean, it's one of those things. I don't think there's going to be the, there is deception. But I don't think people are going to just blindly take a mark and not know that... I, be, I believe this, and I think I've shared this before. I believe when they choose to take this mark, they're going to know they're rejecting Christ. They're going to know it. It's not going to be some blind thing where later they stand before God and go, but Lord, I had no idea that that's what I was doing. I was just trying to feed my family. I believe when they take the mark, there's, it's going to be known. They're going to know that by doing this, by taking the mark of the beast, you are rejecting Christ. So... There's no middle ground with this. And I mean, you're talking about uh, 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 maybe the, this, this intense period under the beast. There's probably never been a time in history, never will be a time in history like this. You know, even today, we see Christians that, Christian businesses that, and businessmen, businesswomen, people who are Christians and own a business, and, and they capitulate to the ethics of the day. They, 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 they cower down to the, um, the mob. Let me say that, the mob. So when, when people scream and holler about, well, you do, uh, take Chick-fil-A, for example. 
You know, what was the whole thing with Chick-fil-A several years ago? We were still in Indiana. Y'all remember the, the thing with Chick-fil-A? So it was an attack on Chick-fil-A simply because they were a Christian-owned company. And, he, and you had them, I mean, they close on Sunday. That, I mean, that's the conviction. How many businesses do you see today? Mo, mo, fast food business, they do more business in six days than most of the other chains will do in three weeks. You know, it's just, it's crazy. But they shut down. I believe God's blessed them. I believe God has blessed Chick-fil-A because of their, their uh, the greatest food ever. I mean, but let's be real. Teenage kids, it's, uh, there's drugs in it because they think it's the, gr- the greatest and only thing to eat. There's drugs in that, in that stuff. That's some, they think it's the godly chicken. They got to have it. But it's, um, the, 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 when, when it came out and they, the, 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 the mob went after Chick-fil-A because the owner believed in traditional family values. Man of God has traditional family values. And yet Chick-fil-A doesn't in any way discriminate. My son and daughter both worked at Chick-fil-A for many years. They'll tell you, they, didn't discri- they don't discriminate. They don't discriminate in who they hire. There's people with foul mouths in there. They don't have to be a professing Christian. They don't have to prof- sign that they go to this type of church or any statement of faith or, you know, I'm against this. None of that. They function just like any other business. And they have the standards and the way they train their people. But Jesse said there were people that worked at Chick-fil-A had foul mouths like, like, like any other business. He said, you know, there were people in there that if, if, now if the owner had been there, they He'd shut it down, but he said, it's, I hope it wasn't him. I hope that's what he wasn't talking about himself. Just thought of that. I had to talk to that boy when I get home. Uh, but we see that. We see Christian businesses today who capitulate to these things. And, they, and I'm a Christian, but they give into it. Look, there is no middle ground in this time. If you are a Christian, you, you are going to know that to stand for God, you're going to have to reject that. And they're going to know that to take that is to reject Christ. In chapter 13, if you go back to chapter 13, starvation was, was the result of refusing the mark. So if you didn't take the mark of the beast, you don't eat. So, so we find out, you know, you know, I joke about we'll find out who the real Christians are when it's 30 degrees outside. You know, you're going to find out who the real Christians are when you have to compromise your faith in order to eat. Do, do now, do I decide, oh, well, you know what, I, do, I don't have a choice. You know, my kids are going to starve if I, don't, if I don't take the mark. If I don't mar- take the mark, I can't work. If I don't take the mark, I can't drive my car. If I don't take the mark, I can't, I can't, I can't get paid. I can't buy food. We're going to starve. We're going to find out, you know, where's, where's our line? Where's our conviction? And, folks, let me encourage you, don't wait till, again, I'm not planning to be there. I hope nobody in here is. But if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, this ought to scare the mm out of you. Because you don't want to be here. You don't want to be on this earth when this goes on. And the only way to avoid that is to have a personal, real, born again, saved by the Holy Spirit of God, salvation, in the, in, in, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That, that is the only way out of this. I'm not, but I'm a good person. I don't think God... No, no. Good, good people, worldly-wise, go to hell every day. And none of us are good. The Bible is very clear on that. None of us are good. No, not one. It, it is through a personal relationship with Christ. So, if, 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 man, I mean, again, we don't have to make that stand. But I'm going to tell you, even before the rapture, we may have to make stands. We may have to make some decisions. Please understand me. I'm not, I'm not trying to quote the vaccine and all that stuff makes for an easy illustration. So I'm not telling you you should have gotten it or should not have gotten it, okay? We, we've talked about that before. But if my conviction is 
If my conviction about something, then let's just take that for example. If my conviction is I'm not putting that in my body, I don't know what it is, ain't been, I don't know, I'm not going to do that. If that's my conviction, then how far does my conviction go? You, you got to know that. Because you, 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 know, you need to nail down now, where's your conviction in Christ? How far does it go? You know, it, it, I, I've heard talk before that if we get rid of pews in the church, people are going to leave. Is that, my question, is that really the line? Is that the line of where you following God stops? Got to have pews. Or women, you better, well, I don't know why y'all have your headdresses on tonight. Oh, you rebellious, oh, you rebellious women out there, you're showing, throwing off. You're letting your hair down. You know, what? and, and, and even, and let me ask you this, ladies, let me ask it this way. Coming off our service Sunday, if we came to the point from the Word of God where we said, you know what? We really believe that's, that wasn't a cultural thing. That's something we should do today. That was a prescription God gave us, and we should do that. Here's my question. Is that where you draw the line? Is that where you go, I ain't doing it. If that's what it, I, I ain't doing it. I, if, I ain't following Jesus if I got to put a shawl on my head. I'm not doing it. It goes back to the question, where does you, how far does your faith go? At, at what point do, I mean, is there a line where you go, man, I'll follow to that point, but no further. You got to nail that down now. My pastor used to say it this way in, in Georgia. He said, listen, you, 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 with, with salvation, you got to understand this. Number one, you got to understand you can't lose your salvation, okay? You can't lose your salvation. So we Baptists, yeah, we believe once saved, always saved. I absolutely believe that. I'll die on that sword. But I'll tell you this, in order to be once uh, always saved, to be always saved, you have to be once saved. It can't be this thing of, you know, I had, I had someone asking me Sunday, he said, well, what about somebody that they, 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 they get saved and they live for the Lord for 20 years and then they go off the rails and they go crazy. You know, they've lost their salvation. I said, eh, how about you look at it this way? What if they just never had salvation? You don't think somebody can play games? I think people can. I think people can play religion real well. And, you know, this is good. I like this. This is good. And there's never truly, there's never truly a born again experience. You, you can go crazy, but I'm, I'm, I'm of absolute conviction. When you truly are born again, you don't lose it. So what you got to do is you got to come to that, that place of going, you drive the stake in the ground and you say, man, I'm not backing up off that. That's it right there. I've driven the stake in the ground. I know I'm born again. I'm not compromising. I'm not backing down. I'm not going to shy away from that. That's where we got to get to. And so for, for us as believers today, where this applies to us is, man, we've got to live out what we say we believe. Amen? Know what you believe and hold to that. So, so we talked, what was that? I just said it the last, year, last verse, if, uh, if, you took the, if you took the mark, you go starving. But to receive the, his mark, uh, if you receive the mark of the beast, then it brings down uh, upon the, the, that person's head the wrath of Almighty God. 
And, and we already read this verse, but he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. For those who choose to take the mark of the beast, they will feel the full wrath of God. So let's say somebody's sitting in here tonight. You don't know the Lord is your Savior. Um, you, you, you better pray that if the rapture comes, you can get saved after that. Now, there's some debate on that. There's, I, I, I tend to think if someone has, has been called of God, he spoke to their heart, convicted them of their sin, they rejected Christ, I believe there's a time where they won't be able to be saved. Now, it doesn't say people won't get saved in the tribulation, because they will. There'll be multitudes of people saved. But you need to remember that. You need to remember that right there, because there's choices you're going to have to make. Psalm 75, verse 8, For in the hand of the Lord... There is a cup, and the wine is red. It is fully mixed, and he pours it out. Surely as dregs, dregs shall, uh, shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. The wrath of God is going to be poured out on those who, who uh, choose the mark of the beast. Verse 10, the latter part of verse 10. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Now, you know, there are folks who don't believe in literal, literal hell. Um, atheists tend to not want to believe in God uh, and, and so they don't want to believe in hell um, but I heard an interesting debate about that or conversation that someone was having and he said here's the, here's the bottom line atheists choose to not believe they, they, they don't want to believe and so several atheists in conversations and discussions and they've been asked this question if if you came to the point where you were convinced this was true, would you believe it? No. I mean, if you came to the point, you're convinced that this is true. Jesus was who he said he was. He died for my sin. He rose again from the dead. I'm absolutely, you convinced me that it is true. Would you believe? No. So that shows you there is a, there's a rejection. It is this, and it's this mentality of folks who don't want to believe in a literal hell. The liberal today, and the, the Lord spoke of hell a lot. So, hail. Hail, y'all. Uh, and if it's not literal fire and brimstone, whatever it, it, it is, it, it must be worse than fire and brimstone. Because if it's only a symbol, remember most of the time in Scripture, symbols were used to give a faint representation of the real thing. Symbol was used to, to, to soften it. To go, boy, I can't, I can't even communicate the fullness of that, so I'm going to speak it in a symbol because the reality is harsher. And if it's fire and brimstone and that's not what it is, that's just representation with a symbol, then you have to believe that, that, that hell would actually be worse than that, far worse than that. And so the brimstone of, of Sodom was quite real. Even scientifically now, they're, they're finding things that are proving. It, it's, it's interesting People go, archaeology has proven that the Bible, has proven these things were right. No, no, archaeology is just, just prove, prove, it's not proving the Bible right. The Bible's right. It's just, it's just showing evidence that it was true. So, so maybe somebody can see it and believe. But it was real. And so the atheist or the person who doesn't want to believe in a literal hell, they've got to deal with that. They've got to work through that and work that over in their minds. In the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb, now, Christ and the angels will see into hell, and they'll see on to earth. And, uh, but it does not say that it is visible to the 24 elders. So, you know, people ask, can, 
I, I, don't, I don't know. Can people see from, can Christians in heaven today, those that have gone on to be with the Lord, can they see down to us today? I don't know. Um, but I don't, I don't think so. I, I, I just don't, that's not my conviction. I just don't think so. I, I don't think they're peering over and go, oh, no, no, don't, don't, no. No, why would I, they do that? I, try, I, I don't. Well, there's a time, there is a time, but there's a time when the Lord wipes away every tear. So I think there's a time, I think there's a time we know. I've shared this, this is, this is getting way ahead um, on, that, on that thought. I've wondered if maybe we don't stand there with the Lord at judgment. I, I'm not sure we're not going to stand there and as people come by and, and are, 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 are judged and are, then are cast to hell, that we're not going to have to face them. And I, I don't know, but that may be, you think about the tears that would be shed there. There's a time where the tears are wiped away and all that ceases. You know, people have said it wouldn't be heaven if you knew, you knew your loved ones were in hell. Well, I think there's a knowing, but I also know in the presence of God, everything else is going to vanish away. When we get in his presence, we, 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 so, we so diminish, we so diminish our being in the presence of God. I, you know, this, what was, I've shared this before. My pastor in Indiana hated that song, um, I Can Only Imagine. I mean, he just hated it. It was funny. I, I love to talk about it because it just got him fired up. But he said, are you kidding me? Nobody's going to be dancing in heaven. He said, they're going to be on their faces. And there's some truth in that. I mean, you think when you, when you, you, you come in the presence of God, we, we think we're going to go, oh, yay, and go jump up in his lap and... You've come into the presence of Almighty God. Even, even John, when it, we go back into earlier part of Revelation, when he saw Jesus, when he came face to face with Jesus, who he had walked on this earth with, he didn't talk to him like, hey, bud, what's going on? No, no, no. He saw the Lord. And so when we, when we come into the presence of God, I, 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 you think you're going to be thinking about this, that, or the other? No, you're going to be talking about woe is me. Hmm. Okay. Verse 12, here is, the, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. All that God's people on the earth can do is be patient and wait for the coming of the Lord. Matthew 24, 13, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, are, are, uh, you know, they're not saved. Don't, don't, get the, don't get this wrong. Don't get what I'm saying wrong. They're not saved because they endure to the end. They endure to the end because they are saved. That's the, the key to this. They have been sealed by the Spirit of God, he is, and, and that person is clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and so he is able to overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Luke 21, 19. By your patience, possess your souls. All, that, uh, all they can do is wait out the storm. Those who have come to faith at this point, those who have come to faith in Christ, all they can do is wait out the storm, and that is, and, and that is what they'll do, uh, by, uh, they'll do during this great tribulation period. They're just going to have to wait. They'll wait it out at this point, and, and God's going to be with them. He's going to get them through it. It's going to be a difficult, terrible, horrible time, but praise God, if they are a child of God, they're going to get through this, and, and, it, and it will end, okay? Okay, Todd, you may have to pick up a little earlier. All right, verse 13, verse 13. 
Uh, then I heard a voice from... This is praise for those who die in the Lord. Praise for those who die in the Lord. Verse 13, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Uh, yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works uh, follow them. Now, while verse 13 refers strictly to the tribulation saints, we certainly we can apply this verse to today. We, we really can. I mean, we can embrace it this way. The world looks upon death as a curse, and, and death is a curse. Amen? It's a, it's a part of the fall. It's a death through, through sin came death. And so death came upon all men. That was a spiritual death. It was also a physical death. As part of the fall was death, that man now dies. But the world looks at that as a curse. And the world, that lost world, that denies God or whatever, or, or if they want to em- embrace some weird thing that I'm absorbed into the earth and I become, I'm living through the tree now or whatever, or the grass, or I've just become part of the universe. You can embrace weird stuff like that if you want. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embrace truth. But when you think about that, for the unsaved man, it is a curse. It is a horrible thing. For, for an unsaved person to die, there's nothing worse. But, but I would say dying for a believer is certainly not the worst thing that could happen. Amen? You know, and I, I think our church has, has, has come to understand that. Doesn't diminish our hurt. When we lose a loved one, it doesn't d- diminish that. There's, there's certainly that separation pain, the hurt that comes with that. But the fact is, in our faith, we know where they are, and there is nowhere better for them to be. There, there's not. And if we believe in a sovereign God, and we do, then, then we don't go questioning, well, why did God let this happen? Why didn't He stop it? Well, I know for a fact he could if that's what he wanted to do. And if that's what he wanted to do, he would have. So we can, we can praise the Lord and, and we can rejoice in that because it is blessed when the believer goes to be with the Lord. The Christian who dies in this day experiences rest and reward, speaking of that, that tribulation time. The unbeliever, however, experiences eternal torment and loss of everything. All right. Um, All right. Go a little longer. Preview of the Battle of Armageddon, verses 14 through 20. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Who's this? It's the Lord. So John sees Christ on a white cloud. He's coming with a sickle to reap the harvest of the earth. And this is a picture of judgment. And when he comes in the flesh, or when the Lord came in the flesh, he came as a sower of seed. He came as a sower of the truth, a sower of the word. And the people rejected the seed of the word. They rejected, you can read that in Matthew 13, 2, uh, 3 through 23. They rejected the sowing of the word. And instead, they've received Satan's lies. And now Christ comes as a reaper. Instead of a sower, he comes as a reaper. And he's bringing judgment on the world. Verse 15, and another angel, here's another of the another's, another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Now, it's interesting if we look at verse 15, let me just read these, and because there's some interesting things here. Verse 16, so he who sat on the, on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. 
Verse 17, then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. Okay, so you see the picture, all right? So the Lord is there. The Lord's on the white cloud. He has a sharp sickle, and um, he had in his hand a sharp sickle. That the, Another angel comes out and cries with a loud voice, says, thrust in your sickle. We know this is the Lord, and you see it even in the writing. If your if you're, if you're, uh, Bible... I, I, and I, I don't know, I don't know how the different versions do this, but I know the King James and New King James are capitalized. So here in the New King James, your is capitalized. It tells you there that's, that's the Lord. It's, it's capitalized uh, your. It's speaking of the Lord. It's speaking to him, to the Lord. Uh, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you, capital Y-O-U, uh, capital Y, to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So the Lord reaps here. He reaps of the earth. Verse 17 now. Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle. Verse 18, and another angel came out from the altar who had power of fire. And he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. Now, it sounds like this is the same thing being told twice, but it's not. You have the Lord, you have an angel telling the Lord, It's time! You reap, you reap! Put your sickle in and reap of the Lord. This harvest is here. And then another angel comes out. And also having a sharp sickle, and then another angel comes out from the altar, and this is the one who has power over fire, and he cries basically the same thing, thrust in your sharp sickle. The your there is not capitalized, so he's not speaking to the Lord. Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. Now I have a question. Does anybody know what's happened there? Are any of my scholars that have studied this out? If we go back to verse 15 and 16, who, who, who did the Lord reap there? What did he reap? Okay, you think he took the tribulation saints out right there? I'm not, I'm, I don't know. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm asking y'all, I want y'all to teach this part. Because as I studied this, I never, I never came to a clear answer on this. It, this is wrath, right? He's bringing wrath here. He's bringing judgment and that was the thought I had as well, Todd, is maybe he's pulling, maybe when he reaped, he reaped out the tribulation saints. Maybe the second angel, when he reaps, he reaps those, because we see what happens when the, the well, I think the second is about the sixth angel here, but this another, another angel in verse 18, or in verse 17, that angel having a sharp sickle, then he thrust in, look in verse 19, so the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great wine, pre the great wine presses of the wrath of God. That's very clear. It's very clear who was reaped there, the lost. They were reaped. Judgment was upon them because they were cast into the wine press uh, of the wrath of God. So it is very, it, I, it, it's very possible... Could be. That's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting passage right there 
where, again, the nuances of it, you read it and you almost feel like, which with Revelation, a lot of times you read something, then you read it again two chapters later, and you read it again two chapters later, and you go, wait, wait, I just read that. And it feels like you're reading the same thing over again, but you're not. One angel is speaking to the Lord. One angel is speaking to another. One another angel is speaking to another another angel who has a sickle, a sharp sickle as well. And it's very clear that he's reaping the harvest of the earth of those who are lost, and they're going to judgment. They're going to the winepress of the wrath of God. It does not say that about the ones that the Lord reaped. So that's, that's good. It's good. That's kind of where I was at. I want some of you scholars to help me here. Uh, verse 20. Verse 20, and the winepress was trampled outside the city and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridle, bridles for 1,600 furlongs. Um, all right, so outside the city, the city speaking of Jerusalem. We're in Israel. It's outside the city. To the horse's bridle. Yeah, roughly four foot. Now get the picture. Now, anybody know how long 1,600 furlongs is? Roughly 200 miles, 185, some say up to 200 miles. So it's in that, in that neighborhood. I mean, this is a terrifying picture. I mean, there's blood flowing bridle deep for 200 miles. Now, that's, you know, we think, we think uh, those that are going to Israel with me in, uh, um, let's say, next... Tuesday, next Wednesday, next Wednesday, no, I don't think, well, we may oversee that. We may be able to see that there, but I don't think so. Um, but one day next week, we're going we're gonna to go to Megiddo, the valley, and we'll go to the Megiddo, which is a town where the, the valley of Armageddon is, where the battle of Armageddon will be fought. And we often think about that battle, and you're going to see it. When you see these valleys and the way they lay out there, you would think little bitty old town of Israel, country of Israel, there's no way these things could go on there. And yet we'll overlook valleys that are just immense. And you can see armies in there, and you can see the kind of war that's going to be waged there. But Israel itself, from, from Galilee down to, you know, from Galilee down to Jerusalem, 60, 80 miles. So this is going to flow further than, it's not just going to flow there in Israel. It's going to flow for 200 miles. So it's an incredible, incredible thought right there. Okay. All right, we'll stop right there. And so, Todd, we're done. I got through verse 20. I just skipped.